turn together to Isaiah chapter 53. This is our fifth Sunday in this chapter as we've been uh, following along with the prophecies about the Messiah and his sacrifice for us, uh, studying and gaining insight as God is teaching us from the scriptures just like he said he would and hopefully gaining a deeper understanding of just the significance of uh, what Christ has done for us. And uh, so tonight we conclude our walk through that. So I'm just going to read, beginning in verse 1, and hope that as we go, maybe the maybe God will trigger some of the things that we've covered. And uh, if you have missed a few Sundays, or if this is your first Sunday with us, uh, all of our teaching here is, is podcasted on uh, in the iTunes uh, store, you can just search for our name and it'll come up if you want to catch up on some of this stuff. So let's just read through uh, the chapter together. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, okay, meaning this is talking about Jesus, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as, from, and, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned, every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. A very strong chapter, one that um, was written hundreds of years before these things actually happened, and 
was was used as a, one of of several, uh, actually more than several, I don't really know how many several it is, but uh, many, many, many scriptures uh, from the Old Testament used to confirm as these events were happening that this really was the Messiah that God had promised, the, the Redeemer, the Deliverer of, uh, of Israel. But it was deeper than that. It was the Deliverer of mankind from the, from the bondage of sin. Um, and so what we're going to look at tonight as we close, we're going to look at, at 10, 11, and 12. And uh, I have just kind of pulled out seven different things that are uh, that we see as results of his of his sacrifice. All throughout the chapter, it, it talks about this this uh, idea that that Jesus uh, would be completely innocent and would offer himself as a substitute uh, for humanity. That the the penalty for sin is death. Uh, the Apostle Paul uses the, he uses the term wages, you know. So if you have a job and and you're getting paid fifteen dollars an hour, the wages for one hour's work is fifteen dollars. You work an hour, you get fifteen dollars. Um, and so the wages of sin would be death. In other words, you sin, you die. That's that's the way that it works because God, being the holy, perfect um, ruler of the universe that He is, His holiness, His purity destroys. Anything that is impure. And so here was humanity who had sinned, had basically the way that Isaiah describes it, uh, like a sheep that turns to its own path away from its shepherd. Like a sheep where the, the shepherd's driving the herd in one direction, and you have this one sheep that's like, no, I, kinda, I think I know better. I think this is the right way. Um, that turning to our own path, that all of us have done that. We were born into this condition where we think, we think that we're God. We think we're smarter than him. We think that we know um, Humanity under this death penalty, Jesus comes as the righteous one who says, I will exchange my, my righteousness, my purity, my innocence, uh, I will exchange that with, with a man. So there's this offer on the table for an exchange. We get his righteousness, he takes our sin, and he dies in our place. And so all throughout the chapter, you may have noticed there, just over and over again, it's that he will bear their iniquities, he will bear their grief, he will bear their sin. It will be placed upon him uh, that there is a transfer that happened. Um, so these last three verses, we're going to look at seven, seven results of that transfer, of that sacrifice that we see here. So um, I often give a shout out to people who are like type A's, who like nice neat notes or whatever, nice bullet points. The last few weeks there haven't really been any, so this is your day. There are seven. Uh, I will not add or subtract from that wonderful number. Um, so, all right, so look at verse 10. We talked about this last time, so you could just catch up on the podcast. It, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And look at this next part. When his soul makes an offering for guilt... All right, and then there just runs through. There's just this list of things that will come when his soul makes an offering for guilt. That Jesus's death was not just—it was not just about the physical brutality of the death. That uh, there was there was physical pain. There was also emotional and spiritual pain as well. It was it was this holistic experience for him. It wasn't like really the physical horror was really probably the easiest part. Uh, when you start to break it down a, a little bit like that, and so, um, but so it's it's not uh, flippant that it says when his soul makes an offering for guilt. 
You know, it wasn't just it wasn't just a physical offering. It was it was deeper than that. It was his entire being. Um, and then it begins to list some things. So here's here's the first one. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, the first one, he shall see his offspring. He shall see his offspring. So in verse six, we're described as like as sheep that have gone astray. That. There are a bunch of descriptions throughout the Bible that, that, of sinful humanity. And here's one that says, After his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, his, his children, his family. There's one, one reference that I saw that worded it somewhat, something similar to this, that, that the sheep that went astray in verse 6 now will return as children. That we go from being enemies, those re- like not just not just rebellious children, but like evil enemy children of God, that we return as offspring. That's one of the results that happens: is that we're no longer separate, but we're sons and we're daughters. That that's a result of what's happened. That's a part of what we celebrate today. That because of Friday. Because of his sacrifice and his soul making an offering for guilt, we go from being straying sheep to returning children. And this is what this is what family will do for each other. Like this, and and I love the. I love how much family is talked about throughout the scriptures, um, and how we're described. Like his, his church is described as a family, and. Um, Jesus is described as not only our king, but also a, a brother to us. And I want to read, it's not going to be on the screen, but let me just read this little bit from Ephesians chapter 2. This is verses 11 through 22. Just, just listen to it. Don't turn to it, just listen to it. It says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. All right, you're like like sheep who had gone astray. All right, in other words, verse thirteen says, "But now in Christ Jesus, you who were who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ." Right, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. You who are once far off have now been brought near. You may be familiar with the story of the prodigal son, where there's the father who's who's faithfully like looking scanning the horizon for his son who's strayed and there's got to be this moment where he sees him and he's far off and he runs to him that when his soul made an offering for guilt he shall see his offspring we were far away and by his blood we've been brought near verse 14 for he himself is our peace who's made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. He, in, in other words, uh, sin has caused all kind of chaos and division and problems, and he is unifying things. He's making peace. He's bringing that oneness back together uh, by drawing us to himself He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far off 
and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're not, you're not tenants, you know, we're not renters. We're members of the household of God. We're sons, we're daughters because of what Christ has done. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. When his soul makes an offering for guilt... He shall see his offspring. Those sheep who thought they knew better return as children, looking to their Savior and saying, we, we were wrong, and you were right. And we're with you, again, because of what you have done. That's the first one. He shall see his offspring. The next one. Um, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall prolong his days. This is in verse 10. He shall prolong his days. That's the second thing. So what does that mean? Well, it, it means that death is not the end for Jesus. That after he's made the sacrifice, that's not it. That death, death is not the final chapter for Jesus. This is foreshadowing of what Easter Sunday, a part of what we're celebrating. It's foreshadowing the resurrection of Christ. See, for everything else that we know, like death has the last word. Right? It's the most final thing that we, that we know, that we experience. That's a part of why it's so difficult to accept. It's so hard to transition. It's, so hard to, it's just so hard to deal with. It's, just, it's so painful because, it's, because of the finality. You know, there's, no, there's no going back. So this is saying that God shall prolong his days. After he has made an offering for our guilt, his days will be prolonged. And these are one of the things where they said, something else is going to happen. You know? Something else is going to go on. That won't be the end of it. The sacrifice is not the end. Being raised from the dead is the end. It also foreshadows some things for us because we, kind of like we talked about a minute ago in, with the baptism, we identify him with him in that. That when he died, I died. When he was buried, I was buried. And when God raised him from the dead, God raised me from the dead. That when we identify with Christ as a son or as a daughter, when we trust him and what he has done as our Savior and as our Lord, there, there is this unity and this oneness in the very experiences that we've talked about. So his days are prolonged. Our days are prolonged as well, which we'll get to in a second. This is God's seal of approval on the sacrifice. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, and I think I said this a little while ago, when he said it's finished, he was saying there's no more more sin to atone for, there's no more punishment, there's no more wrath to be poured out, there's nothing left to to deal with, it's all been covered. Jesus was sort of saying like, all right, I'm, I'm done, there's nothing else. And on Sunday, when he's raised from the dead, that's God's seal of approval that he placed on there. That's the Father saying, yes, it is finished. I accept 
the sacrifice. I approve of what you have done. Uh, and this is, this is how I'm going to show you and how I'm going to show the world. I'm going to raise you from the dead. And not only you, I'm going to raise all of our children from the dead. I'm going to prolong all of their days. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, his days are prolonged. As a reward, as a response, however you want to think about it, uh, this is foreshadowing that and pointing to it. So that's the second result. He shall prolong his days. The third one. says in the next part of verse 10, The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That as a result of his sacrifice, his soul making an offering for guilt, Jesus the King sufficiently rules and reigns and carries forward the plan of God. When you see the word Lord written in your Bible there, and it's in all caps, you go back to the Hebrew, that's where the Hebrew name for for God is written. It's Yahweh. The will of Yahweh shall prosper in his hand. That Jesus, the Son, fully God, fully man, rules and reigns and carries forward whatever, whatever plans God has for the rest of eternity. In other words, everything is going to go God's way. That sin was a choice by, humanity, by, by Adam and Eve. They sinned. And, and in that sin, God graciously put them outside of the garden. He put them outside of the garden because His holiness would destroy them. Uh, and He loved them. So He put them outside. And, and, and one of the, just, what a gracious decision by God. Say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create this separation. And not, it's not because I hate you. It's because I love you, and, I, and just by being me, I will kill you, because I am pure and you are not. I am light and you are darkness, and that's, that's how this works. So I'm going to create this separation, this division that's going to be there, and you're going to live outside of this garden, and we're going to be separate, and you're going to keep having kids, and the, and the world's going to populate, and it's going to all happen outside of the garden, and sin is going to have this ridiculous impact, and it's going to impact every single aspect of your entire life. It'll impact you physically because you're going to now grow older. You're going to get sick. You're going to die. There's going to, you're going to be hurt. There's going to be all these things are going to happen. It's going to affect you emotionally because people are going to hurt you, and you're going to hurt other people, and you're going to be abandoned at times, and you're going to have these really great days and these really terrible days, and it's just going to be this roller coaster. It's going to just wear you out. Spiritually, you are, are, are unable to access me um, anymore until the Redeemer comes, and there's all these things that are, that are going on, and there's this whole plan that's set in place, and through Jesus redeeming and fixing all that stuff, he, in a sense, brings us back into the Garden of Eden. He's bringing us back into before sin messed everything up, that, that uh, God made everything, and then we messed it all up, and Jesus is coming to fix everything. And now that he has died, and, and God has raised him from the dead in approval, um, the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand, that Jesus will lead us home perfectly. That there isn't, we don't have to wonder, we don't have to 
cross our fingers and hope. We don't have to be like, like in the Old Testament when they were, they were angry and frustrated at times and they were, didn't know where the Lord was and they were confused and they didn't understand what was going on. That now, because of what He has done, uh, God lives inside of us again and His Spirit is here and, and we're, we're living this life together and He speaks through the Scriptures and through other people's lives and there's, just, there's so much goodness and as the will of the Lord prospers in His hands, we don't have to wonder or or hope with our fingers crossed behind our back. We don't have to um, look at the future as a gamble or a risk. The will of Yahweh will prosper in His hand. Everything is heading in the direction that He has said. I kind of feel like a verse like this, in some ways, it should just be like a, like a warm blanket on the soul that just says, look, everything's going to be okay. I know it's crazy, and the world's weird right now. It's got some great things. It's got some terrible things. It's all going to be okay. Jesus has the final word. He dealt with the most final thing that we can experience. So he's got this. It's going to be fine. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, the will of Yahweh will prosper in his hands. That's the, th- that's the third one. Number four. Verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. That's number four. He shall see and be satisfied. Coming out of that anguish, the result is for Jesus to look and to not regret to not wish he had a do-over. To not question or wonder or whatever. That he will see and be satisfied. I don't really know a better way to say it than really just to say it like this. That Jesus doesn't regret saving you. I think sometimes we all kind of wonder that though. You know, some in those days when you're when you are the the sheep that's gone astray, that you're kind of like turning to your own path. You know, and we all have those we all have those times. Sometimes it's it's a moment in a day. Sometimes it's a bunch of moments in a bunch of days. Sometimes they're all strung together into months or years or whatever. Our journeys are our journey. You know, that's what it is. But as Christians, we have that choice. And uh, I think we've probably all been in places where you kind of wonder if Jesus is kind of not that crazy about the fact that he died for someone who just continues to be rebellious and dumb. You know? Well, if that's you, or if you ever struggle with that, or if you know someone who questions that, maybe that's a verse that you highlight or underline or write on a post-it note and put it on your mirror. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. That one of the results of the cross is no regrets on the part of the Lord. God approves because he raised him from the dead. And the Spirit is the one that did all the work. So we have the entire Trinity looking at your life and being satisfied with what has happened. If you're a Christian... Yahweh, satisfied. 
and doesn't regret it and doesn't look back and wouldn't change a thing. Then maybe you would change a thing. Like maybe you have your regrets and that's for you to deal with and that's for me to deal with. But on his part, he never looks back. And that's one of the results. And when he said it's finished, that's part of what he meant. He shall see and be satisfied. That's number four. Number five. Verse 11. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. So number five. uh, Many will be accounted righteous. Many accounted righteous. Now, if you want a a, uh, lengthy explanation of this, then go listen to last week's podcast. And it's what I was talking about earlier, this this exchange, you know. So you have Jesus who, uh, like I used a story last week that it's kind of made up that would uh, maybe help illustrate it a little bit. And it's like Jesus is wearing this white coat uh, because he has never sinned. And his coat is white, meaning he is righteous. And that means that his, his actions, his behavior, his thought life, everything about him is just completely holistic, holistically uh, is consistent with the holiness of God. That everything he does is consistent with who God is, holy. That's why his coat is white. And you have a, a man standing there who's in a black coat. And the reason his coat is black is because um, his actions are inconsistent with the holiness of God. He has chosen his own path. He has looked at God and said, I know better than you. He's been the sheep that's gone astray. So a man with a black coat, Jesus with a white coat. And the, and the penalty for sin, as we said earlier, is death. So everyone with a black coat dies. And every person that's ever lived on the planet is born with a black coat on. That's how it works. Born outside the garden, born with a black coat on. And so there you are at the black coat, and here's Jesus with the white coat. And Jesus comes in and offers this swap, this exchange. He says, how about you be robed in, right, in my righteousness... You put this white coat on. I take the black coat on. I'm going to go make this offer to, his, to everyone through my church, through the scriptures. I'm going to make this offer for them to wear my white coat and me to take their black coat. So he keeps piling all these black coats on. Then one day he walks to a cross and God begins to just uh, pour out that wrath and punishment. He turns on the holiness and those black coats just start to get destroyed. Destroyed, 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 destroyed. And you have all these... People in white coats standing there being like, did Jesus, did this just happen? Did Jesus really just exchange, did he really just give me his white coat? Am I really robed in righteousness and he is robed in my sin and is now getting the wrath of God poured out upon him? And the Bible says, yes, that's what, that's what happened. And as a result of Jesus' sacrifice, many will be accounted righteous, that he's got a his white coat, it's kind of like the loaves and fishes. It just keeps getting multiplied and multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. That that's one of the results, is this exchange. And so you as a Christian are accounted righteous. That you, when God looks at you, he sees that righteous coat draped over you and me. And he looks at that and he sees and is satisfied. And he sees one of his sons or one of his daughters wearing that white coat and says, yeah, that's right. It's one of mine. It's one of ours. It's part of my family. 
used to be rebellious, used to be a sheep that had gone astray, used to be hostile, alienated, filled with conflict and chaos and outside the garden. And now, because of this exchange, healing and peace and goodness were mine. So out of his knowledge of our grief and sin and that experience, he'll make many to be accounted righteous because he bears our iniquities. That's number five. Number six. Look at verse 12. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Point number six is that whole, that whole, all those, that stuff right there. You just write it all. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. That Jesus shares the spoils of his victory with his children. It's that kind of kingdom, you know. So a king goes off to war and conquers people and comes back. And there's a big party and everybody thinks the king is awesome. And what does he do? He builds a bigger castle. Right? He has more gold and more stuff and more whatever. And he hoards so much of that. And maybe he shares some with his generals and some and this and this. And maybe they have a big feast for the people. But he keeps it for himself because earthly kings are full of ego. And so Jesus goes and conquers sin and death, and yes, there is, there is a majesty that comes with that. Yes, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Yes, he is ruling over the universe, and yes, there is pageantry, and there is a reverence and an awesomeness that comes with that. And, and when you, if you read parts of the book of Revelation, it's just a stunning description of, of that exact kind of thing. But this kind of king doesn't say, I'm grateful for all the soldiers who fought to win this war for me. I'm just going to go build a bigger house and uh, have more money in the bank and more toys and more of this and more of this and more of this and more of this. And you guys can just starve. That this king says, hey, look at all this stuff that I won. Let's do awesome stuff with it. Come and share in the spoils of this victory. What do you, what do you want? Now, not in a, not in a weird, like, uh, God will give you a Mercedes if you tithe, you know, kind of way. Not, like the, not that kind of whatever, what do you want? What, do you, what does your soul really want? What does a conquering of sin and death earn for our king that we hope that he would share with us as his children? I'm going I'm to run through a list. I'm going to talk quickly because I need to. Here's some of the spoils of that victory that he shares. Uh, sin is rendered powerless over us and we're free from its bondage. Right? At one point we had, we had one choice and it was self. And now he's cut those chains off of us and now we have a choice. We can still choose self, but we can also choose Jesus where before we could not choose Jesus. So we're free from bondage. Uh, the next one, death is not the end for us anymore. At one point it was, that's really, that was just, that was it. And now that's just... The, the doorway to eternity for us. That's something we, we, we're, we may be kind of afraid of dying, but death? No, death is like that. We win, right? That's what Paul said. Uh, we get abundant life now and not just one day in the future. Uh, we get to live in the kingdom of God now and not just one day when we die. That heaven is this like, reality today. That we don't have to just, like, you just need to make it through to the end. It's like, no, this, Jesus makes a difference in your life now. We experience heaven now, here and now, because of what he has done. 
Um, God is, no, is not just like with us. God's now he, in us. There's this indwelling that happens. That Jesus shares the Spirit with us, and He lives in us and empowers things. Jesus shares His identity with us, that, he, uh, that we're, um, He's not only like brought us into His family, but He's given us new names, new identity, that we are no longer who we used to be. Uh, he shares that with us. He shares healing with us. He shares peace with us. Um, he brings us into a family. And we have our earthly families, and some of you uh, have great earthly families, and that's a gift. Some of you have really awful earthly families, and they are just a source of pain. And uh, regardless of what end of that spectrum you are, or where you are in that good-bad family stuff right there, he brings us into a, a bigger family, and together we fill in the gaps for one another. That some of you guys who are really good fathers can fill in the gaps for some other people who didn't have really good fathers. That those of you who are spiritual orphans could come into a family and, and, and some of those voids would be filled. Some of those who are emotional orphans, those emotional needs can be there. We can share and live life together. He's brought us into this family all under this one, this one thing that we all sit at this big table together uh, uh, in, in the Lord. And we all have this new identity and he looks at us all the same and this equality and this goodness that's there. And he shares that with us as a spoil of victory. Um, the, our conflict that we experience with each other is already resolved. He's already taken care of that. That all the sins we commit against each other that put us again against one another, he's already covered that. Uh, he shares that with us. Um, we're yoked with Jesus like two animals in a yoke, uh, and he's literally like dragging us around through life in a really great way, showing us how to live and think and feel and react and, and push forward. Um, the uh, future for us is filled with a completely redone earth where everything that's sin is messed up is vacuumed out of that. So uh, on the new earth, there are no earthquakes or tsunamis. There are no airplanes that go missing. There are no uh, school shootings. There are no people that, that hate you and spread lies about you. There's no social media that makes you feel weird about your life because you're comparing yourself to other people's lives. And uh, there's no one lying to you and there's no boss promising you a, a promotion and then taking it away from you. And there's no, um, there's no, I'll just keep, keep going, going, going. And all the things that are there, there's no sickness. There's no uh, ridiculousness. There's just, no, there's just nothing but just Jesus everywhere all the time. Everything just as he Intended it to be in, in Eden before Adam and Eve messed it all up, and we contributed to it. And he has replaced all that. He's taken that away and said, tell you what, I'm going to remake the earth, and I'm going to share it with all of you, and we're going to rule and reign over this sucker together forever and ever and ever. Are you okay with that? And we say, yeah. Yes. Yes. You want to share the spoils of your victory with me? Okay. That would be awesome. We live in security of our past and our present and our future and completely confident in all these things. Everything, everything good can go back to what Jesus has done. All of it. And that's why on this new earth, we will sing his praises all the time. I don't think that means like a 24-7 worship service forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Because some of you, that sounds horrible to you. But I think everything that we do is going to have this thread of Jesus that runs through there. See, now we should, we should sit down, you should be able to sit down and eat fajitas and be like, man, Jesus is good. 
that he made, that he could take cow and bell pepper and onion and like tortillas, like, like he could take like lard and flour and whatever and put it to make it into a tortilla and you wrap it all up and you, oh, like we should just, we should just, that should be a worship moment for us. And maybe it is for you. Uh, but on the new earth, the things that we eat, we're going to be like, I can't believe Jesus made this, you know. Like, maybe on the new earth, like, Jesus will have, like, maybe there'll be, like, a plant that tastes like a donut. You're like, how did you make a plant that tastes like a donut? It's so good for you. (laughs) He shares the spoils of his victory with us. Last point. Last point. The end of verse 12. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession... For the transgressors. Intercession for you and I. That Jesus stands in the gap and guarantees our acceptance before our Lord. That as we, as we live and we're going through life, he's, he's, standing, he's standing before us. That's what intercession means. It's like this like between us, us and God kind of thing. And, and as he's making intercession for us now, he's, he's praying for us. That as you go through your life, as you're living your life, you're just going out, whatever, that, that Jesus himself is praying for you. Now, you may have friends that pray for you, or parents, or siblings. You may have a grandmother that is faithful to pray for you, and that stuff is incredible. Add to the incredibleness of that, that Jesus Christ, by name, prays for you consistently. And the intercession it's talking about here, it points to that. That's what's happening now. But it's, there comes a point where every one of us is going to stand before the Lord. And we're either going to be wearing a white coat or a black coat. You know? And Jesus has already provided the white coat. And through his sacrifice is guaranteed that God will accept that white coat. There's no trick at the end. There's no like whatever. That, that intercession, him standing in the gap for us, continues and will continue. And so you and I, we can live with this confidence in knowing it is really finished. It's really done. Because of what Christ has done. Straying sheep return as children. Our days are prolonged just like His. The will of Yahweh continues on and prospers. He's satisfied at our being accounted righteous standing in the gap for us and sharing in the spoils of his victory. I mean, is, is there a better, is there anyone else that we should be like devoted to, yoked with, following, worshiping? There isn't. It's all about him. So we're going to sing to him a little bit and respond. And you sing or you pray or you do whatever, whatever. Because he is worthy. He is worthy. Let's stand together as the band comes back up. Jesus, it is amazing to to think in those terms and to to take something that really seems too good to be true and to uh, embrace it as a reality for us. 
And you know, because you walk this earth, you know that we have a lot of trust issues. There always seems to be a catch or something in there. But we know, we know that that's not the case for you. That it's more true than we realize. It's more um, that you're more at work than we can sense sometimes. We are grateful and humbled that you would be this kind of king to us. This kind of Lord, this kind of Savior, this kind of brother, this kind of friend. That you would be holding the universe together and praying for us in the same exact moment. And doing both with complete power and authority. And uh, you don't have to divide your loyalties We just thank you that you are completely sufficient and um, that because you are our shepherd, we will not want or long for anything. And so we sing to you, of you, about you, and pray that you are honored as the sounds of rescued ones will fill this place. We know it is not because of anything we have done, but only what you have willingly done for the glory of God the Father and for your, out of love for your children. So we thank you and we love you.